coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. You guys know I'm Tyler, and back with me today for the first time in what? It's been a couple weeks, right, since probably before the Sugar Bowl? I mean, it's January 16th, and I feel like it should be May. Can it be May? Because then we're closer to football season. The start of the year has... Has has hit you like a ton of bricks. Yes. Yeah, it's been... I know, I was talking to you couple days this week it's been it's been a rough one for you i know yeah 2020 yeah so this is my coach charlie by the way i don't think i actually finished that so welcome back charlie good to have you back so uh are you navigating i know it's been a rough first couple weeks of the year but are you navigating the the college football offseason okay or any withdrawals yet i'm surviving like like as in you're glad it's over no i miss it I didn't get to watch a lot of the national championship games. It's weird. It comes on too late. Yeah, you you said you fell asleep when? Oh, like, well, I mean, I started watching it after it started because I recorded it. And then I, I mean, I watched like the first eight minutes. When Joe Burrow. Eight minutes is what you got? No, I think I watched, excuse me, the first 12 minutes. 12 minutes? Yeah. Joe Burrow threw that long touchdown pass for the. Or well, a long pass for the so, touchdown. Yeah, so you were half asleep when you're watching it. Yes, I was. Okay, yes, yeah. Was. So good for you. I mean, Why do we play it on a Monday? Yeah, I totally agree. We talk about when this, we play yeah. college football on a Saturday. I I know that they do it for they do the it for TV viewership. They have a lot of numbers to work with. So I guess that that's when they think they can get more viewers. But it, that's great. But that's not what ridiculous. the fans want. It, well, at least well, are you do you speak for all fans? I think most fans would prefer a Saturday. How many fans do you talk Who to? Who wants to go to work after oh, that? Oh, I, I totally agree. I'm I'm totally with you, but I mean, I don't know if I if we speak for everyone out there, but I'm with you. Uh, and just like the game was over like twelve thirty, and it's just it's just ridiculous. And yeah, I'm, definitely I'm, was not up that late. I know we're weird and we get up early, uh, so I know maybe we're just the strange ones, but I don't know. It's kind of weird getting up on Saturday. It's a lot of college football, isn't it? Yeah, it's weird. Now I know you 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 love it, but you also get exhausted traveling to and from all these games. So I know that's a little bit of a relief for you. Yes, I do. But uh, I miss it badly. I know. Please and don't start crying. No, I mean it's again. hard. I can't. I just try not to even think about it because it, it's depressing. At least we have a lot of news to kind of keep us satiated a little bit here with uh, transfers and all that good stuff. But um, all right, Charlie is here to help me with part two of the mailbag that we initially opened up last week. I do apologize to all you guys for taking us another week or so to get all the other questions that were sent in, but. There was so much focus on the Jamie Newman transfer that we just felt like we needed to cover that as timely as we could earlier this week. So I know some of the news that we're going to cover on today's show, like the Zach Evans situation and the Keely Ringo and Darnell Washington commitments, that news is over a week old. I understand that. But we had to make a choice on what to cover first, and we went with Newman since that's where all the buzz was. But we have a lot of great questions, like always, and really a great variety of questions to cover today. But before we do that, I I do want to ask your help quickly in spreading the word about our show. I know a lot of you have already done this, but if you enjoy the show and you listen to us on Apple Podcasts especially, and you have not done so already, we would really, really appreciate it if you would help us out with a five-star rating. And if you have an extra minute or so, a review would also be great. It would be awesome. Uh, though You guys don't understand, like those ratings and reviews, they really do help us as we're trying to grow the show because what happens is potential new listeners, they read those things and they actually do, more often than not, pay attention to the ratings and reviews and all that stuff 
when they're considering whether or not to give our show a shot. We've had a five-star rating almost since the beginning of the show years and years ago, but we kind of randomly got a few one-star reviews that came in last week that dropped us to a 4.5 rating, which is not the biggest deal in the world. But when you see like, I was kind of like, mm, okay, I, I'm definitely not saying we have the best show ever by any stretch of imagination. I know that's not true. But I, I feel confident saying that at the very least, we aren't a one-star show. But anyway, whatever. Um, to each their own. If you do enjoy the show, though, because I, I think there's some people out there that enjoy the show. If, if that's you and you're listening, I, I really do hope you enjoy the show because that would just be sad if you listen to our show as some sort of exercise in masochism. But if you do enjoy the show, we would be sincerely grateful if you let us know that with a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. All right, and before we get to our questions, before I turn things over to Charlie, I do also quickly want to go ahead and tell you guys about our new friends at Omax. If you're living with chronic pain, that's the worst. It really is. It's more than a feeling of discomfort. It can affect your entire life. Many of you out there probably have some type of pain that has prevented you from relaxing, sleeping, or stopped you from exercising. I know I have been there. Actually, I've been there pretty recently. And uh, it's not fun, to say the least. Maybe it's been going on for a couple of weeks now. It hasn't improved with any of the treatments that you have traditionally tried. So inner Omax Health. If you're looking to get rid of any nagging muscle and joint pain immediately, and also while providing long-lasting recovery, that's the key, not just temporary relief, long-lasting recovery, then you need to try the natural breakthrough pain relief solution, CryoFreeze CBD Roll-On, developed by Omax Health. This is non-prescription, triple-action pain relief. It's a roll-on that's specially formulated to block pain receptors, reduce inflammation, and improve muscle and joint flexibility. And the best part of the whole thing is that it's 100% natural, CBD-powered remedy. It works its magic within 10 minutes of applications. I mean, relief can last up to eight hours. And right now, Omax Health is offering all of our listeners here at the Glory UJ Podcast 20% off a full bottle of CryoFreeze uh, plus free shipping. This uh, discount also applies towards any product site-wide. All you have to do is go to omaxhealth.com today and enter code OVERTIME. That's O-M-A-X-Health.com and enter the code Overtime to get 20% off CryoFreeze and everything else site-wide. Okay, Charlotte, with that out of the way, I'm going to go ahead and turn things over to you and let's get into all these incredibly awesome questions. All right. Let's start with some football team questions that were sent in this week and then we will work our way to a few recruiting questions before we finally wrap things up with a few non-football bonus questions. Nice. So first up, obviously, the big news around the football program remains the Jamie Newman transfer. I know you guys covered this in depth on the last podcast, but Sean has one more Newman-related question. So Sean asks, what excites you most about Jamie Newman? All right, simple enough. That's a good question. Uh, there's a lot to be excited about. And again, we, like you said, Charlie, we covered this uh, pretty in-depth on the, the, the first show of the week. But in terms of what excites me most about Jamie Newman, I love his ability to throw the deep ball. I love that. I love his uh, his proficiency in the RPO game. I mean, that can open up our offense even more. But what I love the most that he brings to the table and what makes him different than maybe what we've had in the past, a guy like Jake Fromm who was so good for us, in my opinion at least, is the running ability. That's what excites me the most. Uh, and, and when I say running ability, it, it's not just the fact that he's athletic. A lot of times you, when you talk about dual threat quarterbacks and you hear that phrase, you're just talking about a guy who can throw the football a little bit, but, or at least competently, and is also just really, really athletic. He can get out there in the open field and has great speed and can uh, can make some things happen with his legs. And certainly 
Newman fits that bill and can do that. But what impresses me the most about him, going back and watching a lot of the games from earlier in the year, is it's not just the fact that he's got athleticism. He certainly has that. But he to go with athleticism, he has true running back skills, in my opinion. He's a six foot four, two hundred thirty pound uh, running guy who a guy who can throw the football, but also has running back skills. And what I mean by that, beyond just the athleticism, is that he does things that the, the little nuances that running backs do. He does a great job uh, showing patience, setting up blockers. He understands how to use leverage as a running back. He understands how to play off defensive leverage. He also understands how to press the line of scrimmage, which is a which is a lot of skill. a skill that a lot of running backs themselves don't always showcase. Kenny McIntosh is a guy in the in the few carries we've seen from him this year or this past year that we I saw that quite a bit from us. We saw it in the bowl game against Baylor, where you press line of scrimmage, you get defenders to commit to one direction, and then you do a little jump cut laterally and you break the outside where the, where they have kind of vacated. And I've seen Jamie Newman showcase that that skill set quite often, quite consistently. Uh, I'm also excited about the fact that he covers the ball upon contact. A lot of times these these athletic guys that can run the football really well, they fumble. They, they get hit and they fumble because they don't really know how to carry the football. But that's not the case with Jamie Newman. And I also think that he's equally effective between the tackles as he is on the edge. He drives legs on contact, which for me is huge because, yeah, I mean, sure, we can get him on the edge with some zone reads and stuff like that. But what I, what I love most about... Uh, mobile quarterbacks, these dual threat guys, is when you can run some quarterback power stuff because that that can really, really open up your offense and keep you in, in second and third and short situations, keep you ahead of the chains, make you dynamic and dangerous in the red zone. So for me, uh, I, I think that running ability is the most exciting thing about Jamie Newman because I think that's going to open up our run game and our passing game because in the passing game, you're going to see easier coverages. You're not going to see as as kind of like uh, exotic coverages as maybe Jake Fromm saw because they're going to have to dedicate guys to accounting for Jamie Newman in the in the run game, we see a lot more man co- uh, man coverage maybe on early downs and then in the in the maybe third and long situations you might not see as many exotic coverages, maybe as much pressure as maybe Jake Fromm saw because they have to account for Jamie Newman's ability to take off and pick up a first down with his legs. And obviously in the run game, it's going to open things up because it opens up more room for the tailback. Um, you don't have unblocked defenders crashing. You just become more dynamic in general as an offense. So I think that is a, a critical part of what Jamie Newman can bring to the table this year. All right. Very thorough as you It's what we do here. Expected. It's what we do in the Glory UJ podcast. All right. Next up, we have a question about the ever-polarizing James Coley. Is he even polarizing or people just hate him at this point? I mean, yeah. I mean, how many people do you hear, I love James Coley? No one. <laughs> not many. I, I'm not anti-James Coley, I'll say that, but I, I don't know if I would say like, he's so, the best coordinator ever. Thomas asks, you guys don't seem to be as opposed to James Coley remaining our offensive coordinator as a lot of other fans do. What have you seen from James Coley that gives you confidence he can lead an offense good enough to win a national title? All right, uh, Thomas, I, th- I appreciate the question. I think that's a very fair question. And I completely understand the frustrations that fans have because I share some of those frustrations. Maybe not all of them, and maybe not to the degree of some other fans, but I do get the frustration, and I have to admit, I have been frustrated with him. I was frustrated with him at many times, at many points throughout this season. Uh, but, yeah, you're you're not wrong. I guess I guess it's fair to say that, that Curtis and I, when we were talking about this, um, aren't as opposed to James Coley and don't seem as much of a detriment to our to our team as maybe a lot of people out there. Um, I don't want to call people reactionary, but there's a lot of people that just um, don't think he's up to the job. And that's, I get that. I do. But here's what I would say. And it's kind of what I've tried to say the last uh, half of the season. I don't really necessarily have an issue with James Coley's in-game play calling, especially as the season progressed. I, I mean, from the Florida game on, I thought he did a really good job of, of, of designing plays 
to get our guys in space and take advantage of, of what we did have offensively. Now, it wasn't a, he never called a perfect game, but who does? But I do think that as the season went on, we started to see a lot of improvement from him. And, and we saw him dialing up plays where he was he was getting guys open. He was designing things that were that were there. And a couple times we hit him. We might hit him here and there, but we were missing him more often than not, whether it was Jake not hitting a guy, whether it was uh, Jake putting the ball in the money and receiver dropping a pass, like maybe Matt Landers in the SEC Championship game, uh, Tyler Simmons in the SEC Championship game. Jake also missed a pass. Um, I think it was to D-Rob early in that game. So Coley dialed all those plays up. And I, and I know they don't get completed, and we don't score points, and we don't get yards, and, he has, and nobody gives him credit for that. But to me, he did his job. He dialed up the play. He designed a play that put us in a position to be successful, and the players in those occasions just simply did not execute. So to me, I don't necessarily have an issue with his in-game play going. I really don't. My issue, and I've said this throughout the year, was the scheme, for the, especially for the first half of the year. To me, it was a classic square peg, round hole scenario. He was trying to fit square pegs into round into the round hole of the offense the scheme that he was trying to run but I actually what I saw here's what I saw and you guys can totally disagree with me and that's fine it's totally cool there's a lot of different ways to look at things but what I saw was a, a coach who was trying to incorporate actually a lot of spread elements into our offense this year more so than we've ever had and even under Cheney we had some spread elements but I saw uh, Coley tried to do a lot more of that this season. For example, we saw him try to incorporate the zone read a lot more into a running game, the RPO game, uh, which I, I would like to have been a little bit more expansive, but we started to see more of that this year. The screen game came back a little bit more than we'd seen under uh, Jim Chaney. So there were things that he tried to do. He tried to spread the field a little bit more. The issue was that we didn't have the personnel to do that this year. That that was the issue. We had a personnel that was built to run what Jim, what Jim Chaney had been running for the past three years. That was what our personnel was built. That's what we had built to getting all these big offensive, big, huge, gigantic, slower offensive linemen, great running backs, and a pro-style quarterback. That's what our offense was built to do. But here, James Coley comes in, and he tries to incorporate more spread-type stuff. The problem was, again, we didn't have the personnel to do that. We had a huge slow offensive line. but And when you have a big line like that, it makes sense, like, they did like they did at Arkansas when Jim Chain was coordinator at Arkansas and Sam Pittman was at Arkansas, where they run a, a bunch of gap and power schemes. But no, we kind of eschewed that and we went in favor of some uh, a heavy dose of zone blocking. And we incorporated a lot of zone read looks into our run game with a quarterback that no one in their right mind had any respect for as a runner. And the result was a lot of unblocked defenders in the backfield blowing up plays because they had no respect for the quarterback. And now we're in second, third, and long consistently. And we don't want the receivers to go out and consistently make plays and win those 50-50 balls and when defenses are actually playing for the pass. Um, and in the first half of the season, we're, you know, especially when, now when we had Lawrence Cager, we've talked about how Jake Fromm numbers our offense was totally different when you have Lawrence Cager in there but when he goes down with injuries and in the first half of the middle of the season uh, we're still running routes against man coverage designed to throw 50-50 balls to wide receivers on the outside and the wide receivers you have out there when you got some injuries are like five foot ten Tyler Simmons and Kiaris Jackson I'm not saying those guys are terrible receivers uh, I know some people would say Simmons is uh, but they're not built to be guys like Riley Ridley and Javon Wims and Lawrence Cager they're not going to go up and win 50-50 balls in the back shoulder throws they're not going to do that they're not going to be Jamar Chase and Jefferson at LSU. That's not what they do. But we were still trying to kind of fit them into that offense. And I think towards the end of the season, we started to realize, okay, those guys are not winning these battles. We're going to we're gonna have to change things up. So I would you want to give Coley some credit there? I know nobody wants to give him any credit whatsoever, but I think if you're being intellectually honest, if you look at the last half of the season, last third of the season, really from Florida on, we really tried to change some things up. He was trying to do things that fit more the skill set of our players. Problem was, we just didn't have 
uh, enough uh, talent and experience out there. But I, I, to me, this was a situation where uh, I, I kind of saw this year Coley wanting to start to transition our scheme to more spread principles, but he just didn't have the players to do that. So he's kind of caught in the middle there. What exactly do I do? And, and on top of that, he's kind of hamstrung by like a talent experience on the outside, which mis- just made things so much more difficult than it had to be. Now, now with Jamie Newman coming in, I think we do have a lot of those pieces, or at least a lot more of those pieces to do the kind of things that Chloe was trying to do last season, more so than we did last year. You got Jamie Newman, to me, he's a complete game changer when it comes to potentially transforming our offensive scheme. Uh, for number, uh, you know, first, number one, the zone reads will be far more effective when defenses actually have to account for Newman as a runner. There's a novel concept. And that's one thing I just, I can't understand what, and, and I, again, you're right, I'm not, I don't criticize Coley as much as a lot of people do, but I, I don't understand what he was thinking, honestly, incorporating so much zone read into our running scheme and having Jake Fromm do that. I just, I can't for the life of me figure it out. I know he knows a lot more about football than I do, but I just can't figure that one out. Um, and then it, it also, like, it, second and short, like, when you have a quarterback that can run the football and uh, open up the run game a little bit, second second and short, when you can get in those situations a little bit more consistently, you have more success on first down, that opens up the playbook a lot more, and uh, you have a lot of things you can do, and you can just be overall more successful and more dynamic on offense. And then I also say this, you got to factor in this guys. A lot of us still believe in Kirby smart. I think most people still do, right? Charlie, are you still a, a Kirby smart believer? Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. All in. Sure. Sure. Okay. Yeah. We'll go with that. But I mean, so if you believe in Kirby smart, if you know this man as detail oriented as he is, and Kirby's a sharp guy, dude, I'm telling you, he's a sharp man. Uh, as detail oriented as he is and as hungry as this guy is to win, Combined with the offensive issues that we had this year that really, must be real, we all know it kept us out of the playoff. We had the defense to do it. We just didn't have the offense. I just have a hard time believing that he would keep James Coley around if he was not 100% confident he could do the job if he was given the right pieces to work with. I just have a hard time believing that. And I'm not, and maybe Kirby's wrong. And maybe, because he's not infallible, he can be wrong. But if he doesn't truly believe that James Coley can get the job done, then I don't think he'd keep him around. I really don't. We've seen Kirby kind of move on from some guys before. And I would say this too. You can, you can disagree with Kirby and you can think that he's wrong. And that's fair. But I would also caution you and say that Kirby's operating with a lot more information than we are. He understands, he's in the offensive meetings. He understands what's going on behind the scenes. He gets that more than we do. I, I know we all, including myself, we have to think that we know, but we don't know what's going on behind the closed doors. We don't know what the coaches know. That's just that's just the fact of the matter. So yeah, I guess I, you're right. I'm not as opposed to Coley as some people are. And I, I think that he can get the job done because I, I saw him try to incorporate some spread principles this year that we just weren't equipped to run. But now with some of the pieces we're bringing in, at quarterback, at receiver, at tight end, uh, I think, and you hear Matt Luke talking about how he wants our linemen to cut weight, be a little bit more uh, quick that, and, um, and get out in space a little bit more and be able to do that. I think that we actually might have at least more of the piece to do those things everybody wants to see than we had last year. That's what I would say. All right. Now, Josh asks, now that DeAndre Swift is leaving, who is going to blow us all away with the spin moves and the world-famous dead leg? The dead leg always worked. No matter how many times we saw it, we couldn't wait for it to happen again. I, I, I'm going to miss that. Cause like, and, I, and Josh, you're right, man. Like, I was wondering, like, okay, if you're a defender going against 
uh, trying to tackle DeAndre Swift in space. Like, you have to know that's coming. You've seen this on tape so many times. Like, you have to be prepared for that. But time and time again, whenever he pulled it out, he always left someone with their pants hanging down by their knees. Uh, or the, by their ankles, I should say. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to miss that. Like, I, I'll be honest, Josh. I wish I could say, yeah, we have somebody to come in and be DeAndre Swift this year. I don't think we have that guy. Uh, at least I don't think we have a guy with a skill set of DeAndre Swift. I know I think James Cook is the closest version of that. I And I think James Cook might be as fast, if not maybe a little faster, in the open field than DeAndre Swift, or close to it at least. But I don't think he has the lateral agility. To, like I don't, He doesn't have the dead leg move. He moves well laterally, but he does not have that, that open field wiggle that DeAndre Swift had. So I, I don't know if we have one guy that's going to replace that, but I do say, I will say I'm, I'm confident uh, in the guys that we have, the group that we have. I think they all bring a certain skill set to the table. I think we can do some things in space with James Cook. And I think James Cook can run between the tackles if he's given the opportunity as well. Uh, I'm really excited to see how Zamir White looks, how big Zeus looks this year coming back, a year, another year removed from the ACL injury. I think we might see a, a different version of him, a better version, more explosive version of him. I'm really excited about Kenny McIntosh. I think this guy might not be uh, a burner in the open field, but I think he does a lot of things that, that running backs need to do to be really to be uh, a really effective college player. I think speed is great. Don't be wrong. Home run speed is great. It's awesome. But there's so many more important things I think running backs need to be able to do, like press line and scrimmage, show vision, move laterally, jump cut, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I think he does those things very, very well in the small sample size that we've seen from him. And I'm really excited about Kendall Milton coming in as well. He's a guy that I think has the body of a uh, uh, maybe a slightly smaller version of Derrick Henry. Uh, coming out of high school, and I think he's a guy that can certainly be a contributor for us offensively. And we're going to be we're going to be able to mix and match and um, use and, and use packages in certain situations. So no, we don't have one guy that's going to throw out the dead leg, unfortunately, because that was awesome to watch. It was man, he was just amazing every single time. You're right, Josh. But I still think we have some guys that uh, can get the job done for us. Okay. Next up, John Boy says, "I'm hearing rumblings that Channing Tindall could be looking to enter the transfer portal." If correct, that's quite a fall from grace for him, isn't it? John Boy thought he'd be starting alongside Quay next year. Yeah, so this is one of those questions I was talking about at the beginning of the show where um, maybe a little late getting to because Channing Tindall actually came out and did an interview within the past week saying that he's coming back for sure. And, I, and you're right, John Boy. I had mentioned Channing Tindall was a guy that I thought was a, a prime candidate to be a transfer type guy. But he seems he said he's very happy here. He wants to keep competing. And, you know, with with, uh, with Tay Crowder gone, there is a spot that's opened up there. Now, he, now Channing Tindall, the reason I thought he might transfer, and I think that you were – it's kind of what you were alluding to, John Boy – was that you know he kind of fell the rotation this year? He you know he was a guy that saw playing time ahead of Quay Walker as a true freshman. But as, as I always said, even going back to 2018, I thought Quay was more versatile and a better athlete. He just had further to go in terms of learning how to play the inside linebacker position because he didn't do as much of that playing true inside linebacker in high school, at least not as much as, as Tindall did. So he was just a little closer to being ready to play from a mental standpoint as a true freshman than Walker was. But once Walker figured it out and the light went on, I thought he was more versatile, had more athleticism, and we kind of saw that play out this year. I still like Chain Tindall. I think Chain Tindall can be a really good player. We're just bringing in some really high-level talent in that position. You factor in Kobe Dean, Quay Walker. So we got Monty Rice around. So it's going to be tougher to find plans. But I could potentially see a situation where we go with a four-man rotation, kind of like we did in 2017. And he works his way back into that rotation with Tay Crowder being gone. So uh, I think he saw that. I think that's why he's going to be sticking around. Uh, I don't think he's going to be ahead of Quay or Nicobe, but I do think he can be in that rotation. All right. We still have an assistant coaching position open, and Pete wants to know... What names are you hearing for the last vacant coaching position, and what direction do you expect us to go in? Man, Pete, I wish I had more information for you, buddy. Kirby is keeping this one tight-lipped. There's not many people around Athens here that are saying much. There's a couple names I've heard. I'm sure a lot of you have probably heard, too. I don't know. 
uh, how much there is to. I have a hard time actually believing some of the names or possibilities. And the two names I've heard uh, really the most the past week or so, uh, Todd Munkin's name has been floating around for a while. If you're not familiar with Todd Munkin, it's Todd Munkin, not Jeff Munkin. Two different guys. Jeff Munkin is the option-based coach, head coach at Army, so we're not bringing him in. Uh, Todd Munkin has been in the NFL for a couple years, former offense coordinator at, at Oklahoma State, has some experience uh, running some spread-type stuff, and is uh, considered kind of a, a passing game, I don't want to say guru, but uh, he's very well respected as a passing game coordinator. He's the offense coordinator for the Tampa Bay Bucks for, uh, for a year or so, and most recently, this past year, was the coordinator for the Cleveland Browns. And uh, obviously, he's out of a job now with the change at, uh, at the head coaching spot in, in Cleveland. So look, I, I mean, I've heard that name mentioned, and that would be look if, if we got if we brought in Todd Munkin, that's a home run hire. I just have a hard time believing that because from all from all accounts, what we're seeing right now, it seems like James Coley's sticking around, and we haven't heard any rumors, anything to the effect that James Coley is not going to be the offensive coordinator, he's not going to be on staff. We, are, we haven't heard anything like that. What we continue to hear is that it looks like Kirby wants to bring in a, a, a true dedicated quarterback coach with experience at that position, and maybe a, a passing coordinator or a co-offensive coordinator. That can help with game plan, bring in new ideas, fresh ideas, things like that. I just have a hard time, a guy of Todd Munkin's uh, status, a guy who's been an NFL offensive coordinator, that he's going to come here to Georgia for anything less than a play-calling offensive coordinator job. I have a hard time believing that. I just really do. And the other name I've heard a little bit more the past couple of days is a guy named Mike LaFleur from uh, San Francisco for the 49ers. Uh, he's been kind of a, a protege of sorts of Kyle Shanahan. And I mean, Kyle Shanahan is the hot name in the NFL circles right now, just like Sean McVay was last year. It's now Kyle Shanahan. And so everybody's after his up-and-coming assistant and Mike LaFleur. Uh, his brother, by the way, is the, is the head coach of the Packers. I'm sure most of you knew that. Um, and he's uh, he's a guy who hasn't been offensive coordinator, hasn't called plays, but he's been around some really highly respected guys on the offensive side of the football. So I've heard that name mentioned. But again, like both of those names, I just... I can't escape thinking that both of those names are just 100% pipe dreams because like I, Mike Lafleur, if if he he's in line to get a, an offense, especially the 49ers keep winning, he's in line to get an offensive coordinator job, his pick of offensive coordinator jobs here in the next couple of years, and if, and if he does well there, he could be an NFL head coach in the next four to six years. So I don't know, like him coming to the college game, does that I don't know, does that make a lot of sense, especially if it's not if it's not for a play calling job, like. I don't even know if that's a lateral move. So I, I just, I have a hard time believing either one of those names. We'll see. With, I mean, I don't know. Those, that's what I've heard. I will certainly keep you guys updated if I hear anything else. I do think we're going to try to get a quarterback coach in some sort of a passing game coordinator, co offensive coordinator position. But I, I do think right now, unless I hear otherwise, that James Cole is going to be our offensive, offensive coordinator and play caller next year. Okay. Well, now, knowing you like I do, this next question is going to be very difficult for okay. you to answer, okay. and I'm wondering how you're going to answer okay. it, if, or even if you're going to answer it. Okay. So, John asks, if UGA retired number 11, would you rather it be from okay. or Murray? Oh, God. I'm going to guess that you go with Murray. Oh, why? Because I have to play contrarian? Because everyone thinks I'm going to go with Jake Fromm as the president of Jake Fromm Fan Club? Which still no, exists, by I the way. I think you were probably the president of the Aaron Murray fan club at the time. Uh, yeah. I mean, I I was a big Aaron Murray guy, man. So here's what I'll say. I, if you guys, I know it's been a minute, but Murray got beat up over and over during his tenure because he couldn't win the big game, right? And I just, I, I, I know that's how quarterbacks are measured. I always like, I don't, I don't know if I ever buy that because, like, hey, if you do your job, then. Why is it your fault if the defense doesn't get a stop? Why is it your fault if receivers don't catch the ball? Why is it your fault if the uh, offensive line can't block? And that stuff just drives me insane. So I always thought Murray was outstanding. I, I do believe that Murray could have done everything. Actually would have put up better numbers than Jake Fromm. I mean, potentially, uh, if he was with the uh, the teams that Jake was with these past couple years in this, this great era that we're in in Georgia football right now. 
Oh, man. But see, but again, if you measure quarterbacks, and like we talk about retiring numbers, talk about retiring numbers, there's a lot of great players. But usually retired numbers, sure, it, it can be just because he's a great player, like an All-American, uh, which neither of these guys were. But also, if you're not an All-American type guy, it usually comes down to like, did you did we win big under you? Did you lead us to titles and that kind of thing? And Murray got close in 2012. We were, God, just a couple yards away uh, from potentially a national title. Jake got us into overtime in the national title game as a true freshman. But uh, Murray never won an SEC title. And Jake, I know he lost two, or we lost two with him as quarterback. I hate when you say he lost two. No, Jake Fromm didn't lose two. The team that he was on lost two championships. But we didn't win one with Jake Fromm. Again, if if I say he's not responsible for the loss, you can't put it all on him. You can't give him all the credit for the wins. But he was on a team that won a, a, an SEC title and played for a national title. So I think he was certainly, I think you say he's more accomplished uh, from a team perspective than Murray was. Murray was obviously more accomplished from an individual statistical perspective he has basically every major passing record in georgia history and really there's he's still got some of the in sec history oh that actually well for career i should say because joe burrow broke every basically not basically he broke every single season record uh, in the sec this year by far um i think i think it was joe burrow who came to the first sec quarterback to throw for four thousand and for five thousand yards in one season like no one had ever thrown for four thousand yards in the sec ever he threw for five thousand so that's crazy but murray was statistically uh much more accomplished than than from I don't know, Charlie. Where would you go with this? Have you watched both these guys? Oh, I'm the most indecisive person ever. I can't. Choose. I know. I, I'm indecisive on this. I love both choosing. these guys. Uh, so I, but you're on you the just, show. You're a co-host. You have to answer you, questions too. You just hang up both of them and have Fromm on one and Murray on the other. Are you kidding me? No. You host a podcast. You have to make decisions. I don't like to make decisions. Well, you're on the podcast. I make so decisions all the time. I don't. Yeah, so make, does everyone in America. But I don't want to make a decision about this. Well, someone's asking you a question. You're letting John down. I chose both. All right, guys. Charlie's, she's a wimp. All right. Ah, oh, man. Frommer Murray. Okay, God dang. I love both these guys so much. I'm going to be a man about this. <laughs> That's, so That's so insulting. That's so insulting. Actually, you know, uh, and people are going to kill me for this. I'm going to go from... Uh, because... Is that because it's fresh? And, and, and I know that's that's the other argument, too, is that he's just more fresh. No, I I get that. I remember how good Murray was. I, I thought he was unfairly criticized for most of his career. I'm going to go Fromm because, even though he didn't put the numbers that Murray did, Murray also got more opportunities to put up those numbers. I think Fromm was ju- actually more efficient, except for this year, than Murray was. Uh, Murray was really efficient, but Fromm was more efficient his first two years. And uh, based on what he was asked to do, I think Fromm... Um, did as did as well as Murray did in many cases, and also if you factor that in along with the fact that our team had more success, you're talking about retiring numbers. I think you have to factor in team success. Think about like Kawhi Leonard, right? For the, I know you don't even know. Do you even know who Kawhi Leonard is? No. Yeah. Have, have you heard the name Kawhi Leonard? No. Wow. Okay. So you do not care about the NBA, the are the larger sports world. No. I, so you do don't, not. I know you don't even know anything about professional sports at all. Right? Who's the quarterback for the New England Patriots? Oh, Tom Brady. Boom. So you know something. All right. Who's the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers? Um, oh, Green Bay? Green Bay. Well, it used to be, um, what's his name? Uh, but he didn't what, play what is his name? Um, it could be a lot of people. Well, I can't remember anything. Brett Favre? Favre? Yes. The Saints have Drew Brees. Oh, okay. Oh, that's Look, good. I know things. Are those the two quarter, uh, two players you know in the NFL? Who's, well, who mean, are the Atlanta Falcons? Who's the Atlanta Falcons quarterback? Matt Ryan. Oh, okay. All right. So I'll give you a little bit of credit there. All right. Okay. But Kawhi Leonard, for those of you out there, the, um, the... What do they call the Raptors? Oh. I believe the Raptors. Oh, there I am. The Raptors. Look, you can't remember Shut up. Now. I remember. I just it's been a long day. The Toronto Raptors. I believe they're going to already have retired. I read something along, along those lines. 
and he's getting all this love. He was there for one season, but he was re- he's going to be remembered forever there, even though he's only there for one year because he brought them a title. Now, Jake Fromm was not able to bring us a na- or help us get a national title. He got very close, closer than Murray did, but we did get an SEC title, and you can't scoff at that. So uh, I'm going to ever so hesitantly go with Jake. Although, if you said Murray, I wouldn't argue with you. All right. Well, that's it for the team questions. So now we're going to move on to all of the recruiting questions. First up, Derek asks, what happened with Zach Evans? All we heard for weeks was that he was in the bag. Then, all of a sudden, we hear that the dogs are out of the race. What happened? Uh, It's hard to say um, without being behind the scenes and in the coach's office and, and knowing the situation personally, which I don't. Um, I keep up with this as close as I possibly can, which I know a lot of you do. And the way I'm looking at this, I think there's, and, we, we've, and this has been talked about a lot, but it's, we're probably never going to really know because Kirby is not ever going to talk about this publicly. And very few people will. We might hear one side, might hear Zach Evans' side, but who knows if that's completely true. I don't know. We'll see. I think there's two ways to potentially look at this, two options here. I think option one, which is what most people think, um, it's just, it's kind of what I was leaning to, towards initially, and maybe I still am. Uh, but I think you have to factor in the, in the state championship incident. Right before the state championship game in the team hotel, coach asks for the phone, won't get the phone back, so he's waiting on a family member to call, and then it, gets, it escalates. And I've actually heard that they were potentially got kind of physical. I don't know what that means and what how physical we're talking about, but it was more than just cursing and strong words and yelling. So not good. And that's on top of him being suspended for the first couple games of the year for, for an incident with the same head coach. Uh, we talked about how, you know, you got to you – gotta, <laughs> I, we talked about earlier in the, in the year how you can't just completely denigrate this kid and just throw him under the bus without knowing the situation and knowing his uh, his background and that kind of thing. There's a lot of there's, there could be so much context to this. So I, I caution everyone just to not just sit here and say, "Oh yeah, Zach Evans is a bad kid." Maybe he is. I don't know. I don't even know if I believe in bad kids. I'm sure there are. I think there's kids that don't have a lot of uh, leadership in their life and great role models and people in their corner and and just uh, don't have as much of a chance to to be the kind of individual um, that other people might have. So I think you got to factor that in. But for whatever reason, he has this incident again, another incident with the same coach. And and I know that and what I've been, heard, been told was that we get when we agreed to accept his his commitment, we kind of laid out some conditions like, look, you got to do this, we need you to do this, we need you to do, you to do that. And he was doing a good job meeting those conditions. But this happened, and then potentially we backed off because we kind of, again, I kind of put him on notice about, some, about no more incidents like this, especially public incidents. And then uh, he, he right before the uh, All-Star game or the, uh, the All-American game, he was set to announce, and then he, we find out the night before, nope, he's not going to announce now. And then he apologizes on national television. They interview him. He looks very remorseful. Looks like he's you know, borderline in tears. Just tough stuff to watch. And so you, you see that. And you, you also think Kirby talked about after the Sugar Bowl. He made no bones about it. He's trying to clean up the locker room. Talked about the disease that we have here at the University of Georgia. Trying to clean up things. Um, so you don't want to bring in a guy like Zach Evans um, if if there is potentially some issues behind the scenes, are, are issues behind the scenes, you're trying to clean up the locker room. And it's also got to factor in, as, we've, as I've talked about before, it could be t- potentially be a bad look with future recruits and their families with how public this thing is. Because it's very public when he's a high-profile recruit, some of the issues that he's had with the coaching staff and being suspended and all that. And there might be some mamas down the road who are have some tough questions for Kirby. If you take a guy like Zach Evans, like, why are you taking a kid like that? Or is my son, are these the kind of guys that you're surrounding my son with? Can I trust you to, to put him in a good situation? Those are tough questions for coaches to have to answer. And you don't want to get that reputation as you're taking a bunch of, a bunch of guys that, sh- that parents aren't comfortable with their children being around. So I think you have to think about all that. So that's option one that we kind of said, okay, we're going to rip up your letter of intent. We're going to let you be a free agent more or less and go find somewhere else to land. But we haven't heard much about, from the Zach Evans camp late. I know there's been a dead period. 
that's about to end, I, I think, that on Friday. Uh, actually, I know on Friday. So I, I don't know how tr- true that is. Maybe that's how that went down. And certainly the, the, the public apology on national television, like that can lend some, cre- some, lend some credence to that, that option. But I also think there's another option here. He was trying to be an early enrollee, and he was late to that party. He had to, t- he had to actually miss a game late in his senior season to take the ACT on a Saturday. And uh, so he, he is very rushed trying to, to try to get the score to get cleared for early enro- uh, early admittance into the University of Georgia. And uh, from what I understand, there's a possibility that we just we couldn't get him cleared for early admittance. Our admissions office wouldn't let him in that late date with the score, or maybe he didn't get the score he needed or whatever. Uh, and he was mad, uh, upset about that because he was set on being an early enrollee. And so when we wouldn't let him in early, he has to wait until the summer, maybe he wanted to explore other options. Uh, so... We, he asked for his release, and so we finally we let him. We release him from his letter of intent, so we could do just that: look at other options, explore what was out there. So he then he goes, he talks to other schools, and discovers that, huh, you know what? Maybe they can't get him accepted either. And so maybe it's not just Georgia. Maybe it's not a Georgia thing. Maybe it's a him thing. And maybe that's why there's so little news around right now. Uh, and and, not, and I know he can't take visits right now, but like you always still hear stuff behind the behind uh, the scene, hear rumors and reports and all that kind of stuff. We haven't heard anything like that from a high-profile recruit like Zach Evans when there was so much news, now it's kind of going like radio silent. So I think that's a potential, poss- that's a possibility as well. And if that's the case, we, we, I mean, I would completely close the door. I mean, he, he could potentially end up back here if that's what went down. It was more of a grades thing and getting admitted kind of thing. But, I mean, I think it's probably one of those two options. Um, I'm not sure exactly which one is correct. Maybe it's a combination of both. I don't know. Um, but right now I say odds are he probably does not end up here in Athens. And uh, that's okay. Um, I love to have a guy his talent. But I, wouldn't, I also would say, like, I wouldn't 100%, 100% close the door. There's still, like, an ever so slight opening that he could potentially come back if it was indeed a, a, more of a grades thing. But I don't know. I guess we'll see how that plays out. Okay. Next up, Steve asks, is Kirby making the right decision by passing on Zach Evans? Follow up to that last question. Yeah, so that's a tough one to answer because, again, I, I, I keep saying this, but it's true. Like We don't have as much information as Kirby Smart and the rest of our staff have to operate off of. We just don't. I would say from the outside looking in, I think, and I've said this before, I think a guy of his caliber, his talent, I think it's worth the risk potentially because, like, worst case scenario, we talked about that Kirby Curtis and I were going over this, you know, to me, it is kind of worth the risk to a degree, depending on like how high you think the risk is like, and exactly what's going on with him. I don't know all the story. I mean, we don't know that. We think we know, but we don't know, right? Um, but if, if it's not too crazy, I think he might be worth the risk because what's the, what's the worst thing that happened, all right? So he comes in and he proves to be a locker room cancer and you can't keep him on the team and you just you kick him off the team or you mutually part ways or you let the guy say you're, he's in the transfer portal or whatever. Like he's gone. You don't have to worry about it anymore. Uh, sure, there might be some some leftover repercussions from, from you know say to other um, teams and other coaches doing some negative recruiting. Saying these are the kind of guys Georgia brings in. You really want to send your kid to a school that brings in guys like this and you build that reputation. So I, I get that, but the talent if, if you can make it work if you get him around some positive male influences, which from all accounts he hasn't had much of in his life. If you get him around a guy like Jonas Jennings and Brian Gant and Kirby all and Dell McGee. Uh, I think maybe this guy could turn a corner. I wish he had that chance. I really do. And wherever he ends up, I wish the absolute best for the kid. I don't wish an ill for anybody. Um, he needs to mature. I think that's pretty clear. And hopefully getting into a college program will help him do that. But I might take the risk. Uh, but again, Kirby is operating with a lot more information than I am, so it's hard for me to really criticize him too heavily there. Okay. Adam says he knows that you've said Caleb Williams is your guy for 2021. 
But with Brock Vandergriff, did I say that right? You said it right. Vandergriff. Yes. Get used to that name. We're going to get I him. can read. Probably, I'm guessing. But with Brock Predicted. Vandergriff having decommitted from OU, what would you do if you were Kirby and he wanted to commit to Georgia? Okay, yeah. So, a great question, Adam. And you're right. I have said, go. I think it was the uh, wish list show I did uh, right before Christmas, that one of my wishes on my wish list was to get Caleb Williams for the 2021 cycle. Uh, and that was at the time, and I love Caleb, Caleb Williams. I think he's an outstanding prospect. But the reason I met with him instead of Brock Vandegrift at that time was that Vandegrift at that moment in time was committed to Oklahoma. So I didn't see him as much of a – a lot of times these quarterbacks commit, they they commit early and they stay committed. So I didn't think you – know, I thought we were kind of out of it. We recruited him for a while and he ends up going to Oklahoma. They won that battle. Good for them. Um, so I thought Caleb Williams was the, the best guy still out there on the market. So I was like, let's go get Caleb Williams. But now that Brock Vandegrift is available, ooh, this is a tough one. I think it's pretty clear these are the top two quarterbacks in the next year's class. Both top 10 overall prospects according to the 247 composite. Right now, Vandegrift is ranked as the number, the number two prospect overall, so he's the higher-rated quarterback, but it, we're splitting hairs there. Um, there are some similarities between the two, but there's also some differences. Um, in, in, when I said that I, I like that I really wanted Caleb Williams, it's not that I definitively liked Caleb Williams better. I just, again, thought Vinegar, I mean, he was committed, so I didn't think we had much of a chance there. But now that it's open, like here's breaking down those two quarterbacks, Caleb Williams is a more dynamic athlete. I think that's pretty clear to me. And he's a very, very good passer. I just don't think he is quite as polished of a passer as Brock Vandegrift is. And on the flip side, while Vandegrift is not quite as athletic as Williams, I still think he can certainly move very well himself. I, I would kind of equate him to like a Joe Burrow-esque level athlete, a guy that can, can uh, escape the pockets and make, make some things happen, extend the play, uh, pick up first down with his legs if he needs to. You can run a, corp, a couple quarterback draws. You're trying to catch a team off guard like they did in the national title game against Clemson. He's that kind of athlete. You can run some zone reach type, types up with him as well, but you're not going to design your entire offense around his ability to run the football. Whereas with Williams, you can probably do that more so. But So I think Brock's the better passer, um, and is a good athlete, but not as good of an athlete and runner as Williams, whereas I think Williams is obviously the better athlete, but a runner, but, and a good passer, but not quite as good a passer as Vandegrift. So it depends on your preference there. To me, what you do in this situation is you say, all right, guys, we love you both. Whoever's the first to commit, come on down. I think that's what you do. Uh, and I don't know what my preference is. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think I would probably side with Vandegrift right now because – I still think, yes, having a mobile quarterback is important. A guy that can that can pick up first downs and escape the pocket and, and extend plays and make things happen, that's important. But so is being able to throw the football. As good as Joe Burrow, like, and Joe Burrow got a lot of conversation about you know his uh, a lot of hype. Not hype, but he got a lot of praise for his ability to extend plays throughout the year. And I thought about that in our preview show for the SEC title game. Like, you got to keep this guy in the freaking pocket. He makes plays on the move. And we saw what he was able to do. That, that first down he picked up. Uh, when they called the quarterback draw right before the half, was massive in that game. A lot of them go up by two scores before the half, and it just changed the entire complexion of that game. Uh, and he had the ability to do that. I think Vandergrift can do things like that, but he's also a great passer like Joe Burrow is. I'm not calling him Joe Burrow. Don't be wrong. I'm just saying, but he can he can throw the ball like Burrow can as well. Um, and, and Williams can throw it too. Don't be wrong. He really can. But I would probably lean a little bit towards more towards Brock right now. And I, I don't think if Vandergrift wants to commit now, because right? I know he's coming here this weekend for uh, an unofficial visit because he's right down the road at Prince Avenue. I think he's coming back later this month with his family. So he's going to make a lot of visits. And I, and, I, and I think the big reason he decommitted from Oklahoma, because Lincoln Riley didn't go anywhere. Now, maybe he's thinking Lincoln Riley might go at some point, so he doesn't know how long-term he's going to be there. But he wanted to play closer to home. And I, I don't know if you can get any closer to home than Georgia if you play at Prince Avenue. So I think we have a really good chance to get him. And it, even if our coaches preferred Caleb Williams maybe slightly more because we've been recruiting him for a while now too, and he's a really great player. 
I don't think you can turn away Brock Vandergriff and say, hey, dude, no, wait, we're going to wait on Caleb Williams. No, you can't do that. Vandergriff is way too good for that. So I think you take the first guy to commit. And I think right now it's looking like that might be Vandergriff, if I had to predict right now, okay. which would be incredible, by the way. All right. Hunter asks, which all-star game commitment was a bigger deal in your mind, Darnell Washington or Keely Ringo? Well, that's a tough one. Uh, both five-star prospects, both really good at their own at their given position. I would say this. I think Keely Ringo, before it's all said and done in the next couple of years, I think he might prove to be one of the, if not the best overall players in this entire 2020 recruiting class, not just for our class, but like the entire class. I think he might be. like He's that good, uh, that versatile, that athletic, that long and big and physical. But I would say right now, I would probably I would go with Darnell Washington here because I think he's more of an immediate need. Like we, it's great to get a guy of Keely Ringo's caliber in the secondary, and he's got some versatility, so he might even factor in the in the safety battle this year. But we have guys at corner right now this year. You know, we've got DJ Daniel coming back, we've got Eric Stokes coming back, we've got Tyreek Stevenson, and we've got Richard LeCount coming back as safety. We've got Lewis Seen coming back. Um, so like, we need a guy like Ringo in the future, but we don't need him as much right now. I would say. In Washington, like we just we have no experience coming back at tight end, none at all. And I think, it, well, I guess you got now we got Trey McKitty coming in as a grad transfer, which tells you how the coaches kind of feel about the tight end room right now without those guys. So I think Washington was a bigger need this year. So I guess I would go right now Washington. Although Ringo's gonna be a great player, no doubt. Okay, Brent asks, who is your favorite commitment in this recruiting cycle? This is the last recruiting question. Last recruiting question. Okay, um, I'm gonna go. You know what? I'm gonna go off the radar a little bit. A name that a lot of people might not mention. People, I know a lot of people go Kendall Milton. I love Kendall Milton. Love his family. Excited about him. Um, a lot of people go with Carson Beck, the quarterback. I'm gonna go with a defensive player. Mm. I'm gonna go with defensive tackle Jalen Carter. This is a guy, still, nobody talks about this guy. I think he's the best defensive lineman in America. Uh, I said that in the summer when I saw his tape, like, and, now, and that was before he was like a full-time defensive lineman. This year, he's a full-time defensive lineman. He ripped it up, tore it up at the All-American game. It was, I think, the defensive MVP of that game that he played in. Uh, this guy is a freaking monster. And we have, we've, we've had really good defensive linemen for the past couple years. Clark had, took a big step forward. Jordan Davis has been good for us. Devontae White had a good year. But I don't know if we've had game-changers at the defensive tackle, the interior defensive tackle position. Jalen Carter is a game changer. And that is one of the things that, if we've been missing anything on defense, it's that. And now we got one of those guys. So I am extraordinarily excited about Jalen Carter, Carter and think he's going to be a big-time player for us. All right. Before we wrap things up, we have a few bonus questions about a few other sports. And the first one, Andrew wants to talk about basketball. So he right. asks... Hoops. A few weeks ago after the Memphis win, you said that you thought Georgia had a real chance to make the NCAA tournament this season. I did. After a slow start to conference play, do you want to reassess that prediction? No, no. Look, like, we're not in the tournament right now. It's just kind of what I... I and look, guys, like, uh, and it's a fair question. I appreciate it very much so. Uh, I told you guys when we did the, the Hoops report last week that this... Opening five games stretch to conference play was brutal, and to not panic if we if we could only manage to go two and three or even one and four. You got Kentucky twice in their first five games at Auburn, who's one of the two undefeated teams left in America right now, top five in the country at their place. Get Tennessee at home, which I thought was a winnable game because they kind of been struggling, especially when Lamonte Turner, their top scorer, goes down. And yeah, sure enough, we blew them up, blew them out. Uh, we should have beat them by twenty plus. Things end up being a seventeen point victory. We got another big opportunity this weekend on the road at the Hump at Mississippi State. That's a good basketball team. Now, if Rayshon Hammonds and Anthony Edwards 
play together like they did and combine for like 40, I think it was 47 points like they did against Tennessee, we can win that game. I'm not saying we're going to win it, but we can't. They play well. Now, if they don't score, then we have no chance. Um, if both of them don't score, we probably don't have a chance. But yeah, I told you guys, this opening stretch is tough. If we could get one or two of them, I'd feel pretty good about it because the schedule is going to lighten up here pretty quickly after next week. Um, and we're going to have some games that, that I think we can win. So I, I'm certainly not panicking. It's kind of what I expected. And we gave Kentucky a, a game. Like, we really did. We, we, we're winning. We were up in most of that game. We faded down the stretch and weren't able to close the deal. That's what happens with young players. But we're getting better. Auburn was a disaster on all fronts. It just was bad. And, again, that happens on the road in that kind of environment. First time really in that kind of environment for a lot of these young players. And uh, we'll get better from that. We'll learn from that. I, I will say this, though. For us to get the NCAA tournament, Andy Edwards, as talented as he is, as gifted physically as this man is, he has got to figure out how to get his points, get his stuff within this offense. I think he settles too much. He settles for the threes a little too much. He's starting to do a better job against Tennessee of driving to the basket, trying to force them to foul him. Um, he needs to just continue to do that. Go strong, get to the free throw line. And when that happens, when you're scoring inside, the threes are going to open up. And also, and I know we have... Uh, Obviously, Severe Wheeler, uh, who's a great point guard for us. He's a really, really good point guard, great ball handler. He's a guy that's kind of the engine of the offense. And so it's tough to take the ball out of his hands. But when he went out with the ankle injury uh, against Tennessee, we saw Anthony Edwards basically be the primary ball handler. And he is such a dynamic creator with the ball in his hands, not just scoring, but creating for other people. I would love to see him do more of that, kind of get be put into that role a little bit more. Again, I know that's tough when Wheeler's in the game because Wheeler does a good job of that himself. But I think you know he's a dynamic. I think Edwards is a dynamic player when he's allowed to do that, given the opportunity to do that. But I think he's settling too much. He can shoot the ball well, but when he when he when he squares his body, he shoots the ball well. When he when he takes bad, he takes some bad shots sometimes. He's falling back, fading away, you know, from the threes, falling to the side. That that's got to stop. And then, then he's a young guy learning what to do and figuring that stuff out. So he's getting better there. But I think Rayshon Hammonds is the key. If Rayshon can be that consistent second score and not commit stupid fouls and get in foul trouble, three minutes in the game like he did against Tennessee, now he's able to recover from that because I give Tom Crean credit. He doesn't play the whole, okay, two fouls in the first half, you have to sit the rest of the half like a lot of coaches do, like, oh, I don't know, Mark Fox did. And uh, he was able to still drop 21. So if we have you know Rayshon and... And Edwards, you know, combining for 40-plus points, we're going to win a lot of basketball games. But the thing is, if one or both those guys aren't scoring, we can't win because we don't have the, the other complimentary pieces that are ready to score, you know, 12, 15 points a game right now. But uh, we, we still don't shoot the ball particularly well from the outside. Uh, I, and that's I don't know how much that's going to improve as the season goes on. If we take better shots and keep the ball moving, we'll get better looks, not maybe not as many contested looks. But, yeah, anyway, I think we're getting better. We're getting more contributions from Tamani Kamara and Donnell Gresham. So yeah, I think this team, if we can just win the games we're supposed to win and find a way to, to up, get an upset win here and there against Auburn at home, Kentucky on the road, a, a win like that, uh, LSU on the road at the end of the year, uh, Florida potentially, like, I think we can still be on the bubble and have a chance, a chance to go dancing when it's all said and done, when March rolls around. All right, one more question, and it is very near and dear to my heart. Oh, how wonderful. Wit, bless you, has a question about... Georgia tennis. The yes, only thing, let's do it. The only thing that would make it better is if it was women. First tennis. serve this Saturday, yes. 1 o'clock, Dan McGill yes. Tennis Complex. Be there. It's going to be fun, guys. This question is about men's tennis. Witt asks, how are you feeling about the UGA men's tennis team this year? The last two years were rough after going to the Final Four in 2017. All right, Charlie. You know what? I am allow you the honors of opening with this question. What do you think about the men's tennis team this year? I'm excited about the potential. 
We have a lot of young kids. Yes. And they are kids. They are children. Yes. They are children. We have four or five freshmen coming in this year. Yes. Highly touted freshmen. All from all over the world. To very from high. all over the world. Yeah. Most of the players are <laughs> yeah. Sweden, Spain. Yeah. Yes. France. Typical country club sport. Yeah. But I'm excited about their potential. We'll see how it plays out. Uh, you know, I like the women's tennis team. I know. Who do you think is going to play? Uh, the, the big issue, and Whit and I were kind of discussing this uh, over social media last weekend. Who do you? Th- the big issue we've had on the men's side is we have not had a consistently dominant, or really even like a guy that can really compete consistently at, at court one. Court one, we have to talk about as a loss almost every match, especially against good opponents. Right. Who do you think, do we have a guy this year that can maybe change that? Because that's, that's what we've got to find. Maybe Philip Henning. He w- had a really great fall. He was ranked 12. He's, yeah, he's, he's ranked 12, he's 12. Yeah, number yeah. 12. Yeah, so there's potential there. South we'll African. see what the young Fall guys the do. Of old Wayne Montgomery. And then you have uh, Trent. Trent Bride. Trent We'll see how he does. Robert Loeb come back as Loeb. a Loeb is and Loeb is a great. I feel like player. he's been here forever. Loeb has from Myrtle Beach. He's been here forever. He <laughs> has and, and Loeb's game is his serve, right? Yes. I mean, he's got a dominant. So he's got the best serve. Uh, that's why he's so good as a doubles player. We're gonna miss Jan Zelinski. I know how much you're gonna oh, miss Jan. Oh, Jan. Yanni boy. He won a few weeks ago. I know. Though, I was like, he won a tournament. tournament. I'm really he was excited in. for him. He's got this goat. Those weird goat. It looks weird. Jan, we love you. The goatee's got to go, man. Uh, Jan, you do what you want to do. No, I mean, yes, yeah, of course, do what you want to do, but I just miss my baby face yawn uh so yeah i'm very excited about men's tennis i, I do think like you mentioned philip hinning is uh, right now is probably gonna be the odds on favorite to be the court one player we had it we were at the miami invitational last weekend he uh he beat the guy um uh Sisgard, who was the big 12 player of the year for the national championship our co-big 12 player of the year for texas who won the national championship last year he played court one most of the year for texas and philip as a true sophomore beat him last week so that's a really good sign it's gonna get us what i'm saying we against Players like that, players of the year that win national titles, we have not been competitive with those kind of players. And if Philip can start being competitive with those and win a couple of them, I like the depth on this team on the single side of things. Uh, yes, there's some young guys, but in tennis, you know, well, I've seen a lot of young people come in and have a lot of success. We saw on the women's side last year, Lourdes Carlet. We saw Katarina Yoko come in um, as a freshman, play court one for us on the women's side. So there's precedent of doing that if you're talented. So I think Philip Henning, you know, got injured about halfway through last year, played court four for us most of the year. He's made a big jump. I'm excited to see what Trent Bry can do um, as a guy. He's a highly rated player coming in last year. He's probably going to be up playing court two for us. Tyler Zink coming in from IMG Academy will be one like non. Uh, international player coming in yeah. this year. Uh, so, and we got a Baptiste Anselmo, Eric Gravilius. We got some good doubles players as well. So, it'll we, be interesting to see the doubles pairs because last year it changed so much. It really did. Like, and know, this year they've been playing together because a lot of them came in in the fall. So, they've been playing all fall. But even if you looked on Twitter and stuff, they were still changing them up. Yeah. A good amount. We have Alex Diaz coming back as a, as a good doubles player. Manny's <laughs> one of Manny's kids. Uh, and Loeb's interesting to see who we pair Loeb because Loeb and Jan were so good for so long. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in 2017, they were they lost in the ch- championship match of the doubles tournament. Yeah. Uh, and had it. They blew that one. So it'd be interesting. And Loeb's a really good doubles player. But Jan, they him and Jan complement each other so well. Loeb had this incredible serve. Jan was so quick and, and so dynamic at the net. Um, so Loeb still got the serve. Got to find somebody to match with him to complement that skill set with somebody that's really dangerous at the net like Jan was. So we'll see. I'm excited, though. Talking about it, it's great. The season's about to kick off here. The indoor season's about to kick off. And uh, our, our women, by the way, defending indoor national champions. So they got to defend that title. Woo. 
It's going to be fun. So first serve, you're in the Athens area. You're looking for something to do this weekend, looking for the family. Uh, they're having, they're having a, an inner squad scrimmage, red, red versus black, kind of like a G-Day kind of thing. Plus, they're going to have a free clinic for kids and adults, too, if you're interested. And it's free. It's totally free. Tennis free. matches are always free, always free. Unless it's the NCAA tournament. Right. Which, free. Yeah. You can bring your own snacks. You can bring your own drinks. Just be careful. Yes. Be careful. I will say, last thing about the men's tennis team, I do think, uh, this two years right, since the Final Four, we dropped a, a face field. Like, we lost in the first round. We haven't hosted, like, I can't remember the last time we hadn't hosted a regional for, on the men's side of things. In the last years, we haven't. We lost in the first round. Had to play at somebody else's place, the regional, which is crazy. I'm hoping that we at least get back to hosting a regional, uh, which basically means you need to be in the top 16, host a regional, and get back to wherever the, where it's still water this year is where the national title is going to be held, uh, and get there. And I'm not, I don't, I don't think we have a national championship. Con- I don't think we're going to win the national title this year on the men's side. The women's different story, but I think the men can be can be much better than we had been in the past. Kind of like the the basketball team, we just grow and develop with some of these young players. Um, so I, I would just like to see some progress and moving in the right direction because I think the future is bright with these guys we're bringing in. I just want to see some progress this year. So, uh, yeah, it should be fun. But, all right, guys, that does it for us today here on the Glory UJ Podcast. Thank you all for taking time out of your day to listen to us here. And, again, if you get a chance, you've enjoyed the show, please just take a quick second to rate and review. Uh, give us that five-star review if you're so willing on Apple Podcasts. we greatly appreciate that. But for Charlie, I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs. <laughs>